This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This podcast is brought to you by Tethered. If you're looking for an elevated hunting system that is light, mobile, customizable with molly attachment systems, and above all else is extremely safe, then you need to check out the Tethered Mantis Saddle and the Predator Platform. I took the plunge last year and have been using both the Mantis Saddle and the Predator Platform and haven't looked back since. What I love about the Mantis Saddle is how lightweight it is and also its versatility in terms of adding different sys haulers and, and so forth to to the saddles who help me kind of carry any type of uh, climbing aiders or tethers or lineman ropes. Um, I'm, I'm basically able to walk in if I really wanted to with just my saddle and my platform and, and of course my bow and, and I'm ready to hunt. So super light, super mobile. The Predator platform is just, for me, was the most comfortable way, and especially for anyone out there who might be new to saddle hunting, it was probably the most familiar way for me to get into saddle hunting, as it's a smaller platform, so just kind of imagine a smaller version of a of a hang-on tree stand, um, which gave me that little bit of familiarity that I was looking for as I made the transition from tree stand to saddle hunting, and now um, I can't believe that it took me this long to actually get into saddle hunting. So if you think being more mobile or lighter will help you in the deer woods, head over to tetherednation.com, check them out and learn more about all their products. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 125. Today I'm hanging with the bow hunting fiend, and we're kicking off a special DIY report mini series. So stay tuned. All right, all right. What is going on out there? Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope everyone is doing good, feeling fine. Hope you're getting a little bit of time in the uh, out in the deer woods. It is 
it's a, the, it's velvet time. So you've probably got cameras out, probably putting out some mineral stations if you've not already done that. Uh, me, of course, I think I mentioned this in the past podcast that I had, had still yet to set up my, my new bow or the bow that I'll be using for this season, the Obsession FX30, the Dirty 30, as it were. 30-inch axle to axle. was pretty stoked to when I shot it at ATA and have been just kind of waiting and until I had a free moment or a free weekend to line up with with my guy, the bow hunting fiend, to get over to his place to get it set up. So that's actually what I did this past weekend. Is I went over there and spent some time with Greg. Uh, he he set me up. So anyone in the in the Jersey around the Philly area who's looking for a dude who knows what he's doing and setting up bows, I would definitely hit up the fiend on Instagram and try to get try to get in with him because he's got me dialed in. So I was pretty excited about that. A few minor tweaks. So you know, new bow of course, but still sticking with obsession bows. Um, I didn't really change much. I'll still same back tension release, but I did change my sights this year. Um, just based on, you know, I, I, in the past I had used the, the trophy Ridge react sights, um, and they worked great. Uh, last year I changed my arrow setup a little bit. I went with a heavier arrow. And if you've, you know, ever used the react technology from trophy Ridge, then, you know, it's based on, you know, the, the math essentially, you know, it's like if you shoot at 20 yards and it's, you know, this setting, you know, you will then, and you dial yourself in at 40 yards, then you're usually set up pretty good for, you know, for this site, at least that I have, it's out to 60 yards. And it's based all on the speed of your bow um, and velocity, I guess I should say. Um, and for me, since I moved to a heavier arrow, I don't have a super long draw length. It, it started to kind of mess with the, um, with the mathematics of, of the, of the, of the setup in general. So it was no longer really working for me uh, the way I, I would have liked it to. Still a good sight. Uh, didn't have any problems with it. I just you know sighted in using using a tape um, and and did it DIY or did it old school and I was and I was fine. Um, but I wanted to kind of use something that was I guess maybe uh, maybe I should put it this way. I wasn't trusting myself enough to build my own tape at this point. I mean I was I was okay out to probably you know fifty ish yards, um, which is plenty good enough for, for whitetails, but I do have, you know, not this year, but next fall, I will have a, you know, a Colorado elk hunt that'll be upcoming. And I wanted to have a setup that I could trust for that and not have to continue to change my, my setup, you know, it's at least my, my site setup and so forth. So this year I actually switched to an HHA, uh, Kingpin optimizer and had Greg help me set that up. And it's just, it's a really sweet, uh, a really sweet site. So, um, I don't work with them in any capacity. It was just one of those things. I had a couple of buddies who had been shooting those. They really liked them, looked at a couple of different options and it happened to be the one that I thought would probably work the best for me. So hung out with Greg, got dialed in, actually, you know, took my saddle, uh, the, my tethered saddle over for him to, uh, to check out. Cause I, Greg's going to do a little bit of saddle hunting this year. Um, and wanted to just kind of climb a little bit and check it out. So, uh, I took my short sticks over for him to kind of check out too, since I've been doing some mods and it gave me a chance to kind of play around with him a little bit too. So he and I did that and he shot out of the tree. And of course, you know, if you know, Greg, he, he shoots well, regardless of where he shoots from, whether it's in a tree or on the ground. So he shot well out of it. So that was fun. Friends helping friends, uh, you know, get into saddle hunting a little bit. So that was, a so that was a good time, but you know what, I guess I'll just kind of cut right to it with this. Um, you know, this, this week marks the third year anniversary of the truth from the stand, uh, podcast. So first I want to say thank you to all those, all you guys out there that are, that have been listening and, and supporting the podcast from the, from day one, I think the 22nd is actually the official three year anniversary. And so every year it seems like I miss the opportunity to kind of celebrate this. Part of it is, is I don't do, uh, I'm not real big into anniversaries. I'm not real big into birthdays. Um, I'm just more of a grinder and every day is the same and you just kind of get up and you do what you got to do. But I do recognize that, you know, 
a yearly milestone for the podcast, especially whenever I started this thing and wasn't sure exactly what it was going to be, what it was going to turn out to do, if anyone was ever going to listen. Um, and lo and behold, you know, you guys tune in each and every week and I'm, and I'm super grateful for that. And so I wanted to try to do a different type of show and been thinking about this for a little while. And I was actually talking to Greg about it. Um, and we came up with this idea of taking a look back historically at some of the podcasts um, and so what we've done is Greg kind of went through the podcast. He's still working his way through and he's pulled out nuggets that he thought that were interesting ideas, concepts, and some of them maybe just interesting stories. And we thought it would be interesting to kind of look at those and dissect those and talk about how maybe we've used those tactics or strategies in the past. If, and when we've used them, how have they worked? Have we've talked about things in the past that we thought one way about now, you know, with the, you know, the, the fortune or the, you know, the fortune of, of time or, you know, getting older and learning more uh, that we look at those scenarios maybe differently and aren't as committed to those same ideas. And so we thought it'd be cool to kind of take a stroll down memory lane and kind of have, you know, Greg, you know, I was going through his mind's eye because I respect him as a hunter and I think he's a hell of a hunter. Um, I wanted him to kind of pick out bits and pieces of different podcasts. So that's what we're going to do, uh, going to do in this uh, DIY report mini series. It's, I don't know how many it's going to be because it's going to be probably quite lengthy and, and run for, I would say several months, um, just in the sense that there's a lot of podcasts to get through. Um, and so this first session, you'll hear us talk about, you know, the first handful of podcasts that Greg kind of uh, gravitated towards. So there's, there's some conversation that we pull out excerpts, you know, of, you know, the first podcast and, you know, podcast number eight. And we've talked about guests, you know, the, you know, the one is just literally Phil and I, when we first started the podcast talking, you know, uh, Adam Lewis, who we had on very, very early on, Jake Elinger, Aaron Warbritton. You know, I'm not exactly sure when each one of these folks will be included in the podcast. It just depends in terms of timing and, and how the podcasts get edited together. Uh, but we're going to bring in all these ideas from all these different people that we've talked to. And so this is how the format will really play out. You know, there will be, I will provide a little bit of an upfront for each section or for each segment, if you will, and kind of give you a, um, a cliff notes version of what we're going to talk about. And then what you will hear is the actual audio from the podcast that we're, that we're referring to in the conversation that we're referring to. And then after that, you will hear then Greg and I kind of talk about the topic that was discussed originally in the podcast. If it sounds confusing, it'll not be as confusing when you when you listen. Uh, we just thought this would be an interesting way to take a stroll down memory lane and then also you know just kind of dissect some strategies, maybe bring some things up that maybe we've forgotten about in the past because the one cool thing about doing you know th that I've learned in, in doing this podcast for three years is that I've learned you know I'm 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 a world apart or a worldly different whitetail hunter, bow hunter than I was three years ago when I started this podcast. I've learned so much from our guests. I've learned so much from the new friends that I've made, regardless of whether, whether they've been on the podcast or not. And I've learned a ton from the folks out there, like you guys that are listening, you know, the, the interactions that we've had in social media. And sometimes, you know, I'll get questions asked and, um, and I'm happy to answer them in social media, but it makes me think about things a little bit differently when you ask those questions. And so you guys make me stop and think about, you know, certain things that I hold true in the deer woods and, and challenge those ideas. And so I'm appreciative of that. And so I thought an interesting way to try to give back a little bit more and think about some of these things differently is to take a look at some of these things we've covered in the past and see if they still, if they still hold true. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, there's going to be, I'm not, 
I'm just going to be honest, I'm not quite sure how many of these are going to come out and how quickly they're going to come out. I think we'll probably have three that'll be ready over the course of the next six-ish weeks. Uh, so every other week, a DIY report will come out just, you know, the same way that they've come out in the past um, with a longer form, you know, our normal podcast on those weeks in between. Uh, so before we jump into all that, and before we kick the episode off officially, I want to just make mention again to make sure that you guys are aware that our buddies from Exodus are have the Velvet Fest uh, going on currently. Um, I know I've mentioned this in the past, but they've officially kicked it off. It began just uh, this past week on June 12th, and it'll run all the way through July 12th. And if you're not familiar with what Velvet Fest is officially, it is the official start to deer season in my mind. And Exodus helps us get the ball rolling for for everyone's uh, summer scouting benefit. So all month, they'll have awesome prizes for people who use the hashtag hashtag velvet fest on social media showing their their white tail adventures so doesn't matter if you're food plotting hanging cameras shooting your bow whatever it is you know use the hashtag velvet fest to get a, to, to get included and be involved also if you're in the market for a trail camera velvet fest uh, will be the perfect opportunity to get ready for the season every single camera order that anybody makes uh, comes with a gift and this is going to range from wicked you know wicked tree gear hand saws skull brew coffee a deer aging kit and then of course they'll also be including some exodus merch also every single camera order comes with a random prize card that you'll have to scratch off kind of like the lotto tickets or the lotto scratch offs uh, and it'll reveal a prize and so i've heard at least in my conversations with my buddies that it'll include some pretty killer deals so you won't want to miss out on those each week they'll have a special offer with a grand prize so just as a teaser here's the grand prize for each week of the velvet fest celebration the first week which is coming to a conclusion here. So if you haven't jumped in on it, you'll want to do it soon. Will be a Maven rifle uh, scope package. Week number two, which I believe will be next week, is the Exodus trail camera package. Week number three will be the tethered package. And then week four will be the Exodus render package. And that is their new cell camera. So you'll be automatically entered with any purchase on the website for any of these grand prizes that correspond with the week that you make your purchase. There's a lot to this campaign, so you want to just head over to their website and make uh, and, and sign up for their newsletter uh, because you won't want to miss out on any of this information. They'll be communicating via their newsletter over the course of these weeks. And you'll also uh, have the opportunity to uh, see all the Velvet Fest calendar highlights and all the details on their website. If you're not familiar with Exodus, of course, you know, I know you guys have probably heard me talk about them in the past. You know, I'll give you the brief Cliff Notes version. They've been out on the market for four years, consistently build kick-ass trail cameras. You've heard me talk about them. They just flat out work. I've hung them, beat them up, and have had nearly zero failure that wasn't basically basically my fault. Um, every single camera that you purchase, it comes with a five-year warranty and also comes with a five-year theft or damage coverage. So yes, that's literally half a decade that you won't have to worry about your trail cameras if you purchase an Exodus trail camera. But more than likely, as I mentioned, you won't need it because they're just they're built to they're built to kick ass, take names, and last for years. So be sure to take part of the Velvet Fest celebration and be sure to tag Exodus in your social media posts. Because, of course, they'll want to keep tabs on what you guys are up to. So head over to ExodusOutdoorGear.com and check them out and get involved in Velvet Fest. And without further ado, let's get on to this DIY report. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today, well, actually for a couple episodes, I'm joined by my uh, my brother from another mother, the man, the myth, the legend... <laughs> The bow hunting fiend hailing from the great state of New Jersey, the Garden State. What's yes. going on, man? What's happening? Hanging out with you all day today, man. That's yeah. what's happening. Getting your bow shooting good. Getting my bow shooting good. So, uh, those of you that don't know, if you didn't already know, uh, Greg Gregory Gregory yes. is uh, is a hell of a hell of a marksman with a bow. 
We're sitting in his archery shop right now. He, uh, <laughs> I had a new bow, as I'd mentioned in, like, I think the past two podcasts that had literally just been sitting in my basement for, like, two months, like, taunting me because I wanted to shoot it. Shoot but, me. Shoot me. <laughs> well, I usually say that every night, yeah. you know, <laughs> but for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, was waiting to get together with Greg because our, our schedules weren't really, weren't, weren't syncing up. So we finally had a chance to get together. So we dialed my bow in, new site, new everything, all set to go on that. Pretty dialed in out to 60 yards already. So that's pretty mm-hmm. killer. And then we did a little playing around with the Mana Saddle a little bit, you know, a little shooting from that. It's interesting. Yeah. So you could kind of get your hands on that and check it out. And, uh, should have brought your boots, you know. Should have brought my boots because my climbing situation, like I was, I was trying to climb trees in, in a, a pair of Vans skate shoes, basically flip flops. Basically flip flops. Yeah, I figured I could climb. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I could climb trees and shoot out of my out of my saddle and flip flops. I got but, good traction, so yeah. It's like I got I got monkey feet. I'm yeah. good, you know. It's not so much. So my my plan was my plan was failed, but flawed from the beginning. It was flawed from the beginning. <laughs> but uh, so this uh, these next couple shows with uh, with Greg are going to be a little bit different. So. For those of you that have been following the show maybe for a little while, you know, we've been now doing this show for three years, going into our fourth year. So, you know, at, at this it's point... we the big bucks to roll in. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to know where they hide those then. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you take them? Like, you got the big bucks? Mm-hmm. They sending them to you? They're on my wall. They're on your wall, they're on your wall right behind yeah. us. Exactly. The, uh, so, we've, of course, had a lot of really great guests on over the course of the past three years, you know, Greg included, of course. You know, everyone from Dan Enfault to Aaron Warbritton to just, you know, Dan Bayes, you know, maybe some guys, you know, more locally that maybe some of you aren't aware of. And if you've just recently started listening to the podcast, um, if you haven't gone back and listened to the old episodes, you know, I'd urge you to do so because there's some good there's some good stuff back there. But I thought, you know, what might be kind of fun to do, and Greg and I talked about this, was, you know, all the things that we've kind of heard over the years, sometimes you forget about the tips and tricks that you've heard over the year. Or maybe we've learned something since the last time, you know, that we covered a topic uh, that might change our mind on that approach or that tactic or that strategy. And so we thought it'd be a cool idea to kind of go through. It was actually, I gave Greg homework and he mm. did it. He was a good student. He actually started going through all of the podcasts and he hasn't made it through all of them yet, but yeah. he's getting there. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot to digest. Yeah. So he's gone through a bunch of the podcasts, I think the first 27-ish, and he's pulled out excerpts of each one that were interesting to him for one reason or another might one might just be a story another one might be a strategy and then what we want to do is just kind of talk about you know that strategy that tactic that story um you know how we kind of think about it now if we think about it the same way as what we did three or four years ago if we think about it differently now um, if we've used those tactics or those strategies in the past have have they played out the same way that we discussed them previously or that they were discussed previously with other guests or do we have a completely different take on it and and if so what is that and so that's kind of what we want to do now so you know unofficially we're kind of calling this the truth you know uh, the truth career and review yeah. <laughs> to, to a degree um, or at least the, the the review of the past three years of, of the podcast we've been able to do so this will take us a little bit of time to roll out um, we'll have you know of course a couple different sessions over the course of this year probably to get through all the all the episodes but we thought this would be a fun way to kind of go through the uh through the archives so to speak and have a have a good hang after the uh, bow shooting so without further ado are you ready let's do it just do, do it. it we decided we're going to talk in whisper yes. voice the whole time I talk like this the whole time so people are like why is it so quiet but it's not really quiet 
No. So just turn your speakers yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this first one actually comes from the very first podcast we ever did. This was back if anyone, you know, is a is an old head, you know, um, was when Phil was actually on the show, whenever I first started the show, my buddy Phil. And what we're really talking about in this clip, so we'll kind of preamble the clip and then you'll hear the clip that we're going to refer to and kind of and, and talk about. And in this clip specifically, Phil and I are talking about the mountain that is at our one or at my one family farm um, that I had had a chance to do a bunch of scouting and actually came across a buck bed. And it was one of the most defined buck beds I'd ever found on the property. And then we'll go into the clip and uh, and we'll discuss it after. Yeah, I know the weekend uh, that we were back there, you could barely see uh, five feet in front of your face. But, um, you know, there's a large mountain that comprises about 40 acres on our farm that uh, literally nobody hunts. It goes virtually untouched. It's it's kind of a tough hunt. Uh, The wind's a little bit fickle on the mountain. So this year I've kind of made it my cross to bear uh, to see if I can't figure out how to hunt it and where the deer are at. I did manage to find one really nice uh, buck bed. I thought there was a, a, a nice, a potentially mature buck that was living on the mountain. And I think that this is the bed that he's using. So I'm hoping that I can locate that toad. Oh, uh, yes. The unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. The unicorn for sure. All right. So what you heard us talking about there was the mountain and um, finding a finding a buck bed on the mountain and kind of referring to it or, you know, um, talking about it as a unicorn, right? It's uh, it's that mystical creature, the, the the mystical buck bed creature that people always kind of talk about, clamor about, and it seems to be, the, of course, for quite some time, you know, the in vogue thing. Of course, Andre was big into that, you know, very early on. He and Dan, a lot of folks kind of look at Dan as the guy who really kind of, you know, made it popular to a degree. And then, of course, the guys from the hunting public, you know, do a lot of buck bed hunting and stuff like that. Um, and Greg and I were just kind of talking about, and I'll let you kind of take over here, but that, you know, it's, uh, it might not be as, as, as mythical and, and as, <laughs> as, uh, as, as glorious as, or as like, you know, airtight as far as like a plan goes. So, you know, what's your take on buck beds, man? They're, you know, if you know where they sleep, you can kill them. Right. Plain and simple. They can eat, like I've said this numerous times and a lot of people, deer will eat sticks to stay alive. Right. Goal rule number one for any species on this planet is to live as long as you can, as safe as you can. Plain and simple. And deer has been around, especially here in Jersey. There's a lot of pressure. So if you can find out where he's sleeping, your odds of killing him are, you know, a lot higher than waiting for him to show up daylight in an oak flat. Right. You know. Yep. Or open field, a crop field, or you know, or some random staging area. You get close to beds, you know, they're, that's daytime movement, you know, not all the time. You know, I've watched numerous bucks get up, stretch, and lay back down until 20 minutes after dark. Right. So it's not a slam dunk. It's not this, hey, I found a buck bed. I'm going to kill big bucks. Mm, no. <laughs> right. That's, uh, uh, it's my, I'd say just, I've been doing this style of hunting for a long, long time and learned a lot from Dan. And the other guys that were really doing what I was doing, but at a, you know, a level that I'll probably never attain. Right. <laughs> so right. I took what that a lot of information they had and made it work for my areas, and it it, it works for me. Right. It's not for everybody, that's for sure. Right. It's a, it's a losing game. You right. know, it's it's you're going to get a shot eventually, but it might take you two or three years. Right. You know. Uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing, and we were talking about this, you know, right before we started recording a little bit, was that. You know, I think folks think that, oh, I found a buck bed. It's it's a slam dunk, right? 
and all buck beds aren't created equal. Yes. Is one, right? Um, and two, you don't know, unless you know when that bed is being used, it may or not be worth anything and, to you. You know, it takes time. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's the, it's the end thing now, you know, hunting buck beds. That's the cool thing to do. All the cool kids are doing it. And it's a lonely way of hunting. Um, especially here in like a high pressure state. Like we don't, I mean, Jersey can kill six bucks. So the odds of you, odds of seeing a four year old deer here in Jersey, they're not very good to begin with, you know? So there's not many. 140, 15 steer running around. Right. Know? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, so get back on track here. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but they're not the mythical creatures everyone, yeah, everyone no, thinks they no, are, right? No. It's like people think they find a buck bed. It's, it's a slam. It's a yeah, slam. It's going to take a while to figure it out. Like with any, anything in life, you know, hunting, especially time is always your friend. Time is your yeah. ally. And a lot of people don't want to wait, but you know, once you put in time, you, you know, an area, you hunt a bed, you know, you first find a bed and you get into it. I'm like, I'm going to hunt it four times here. Well, that's two times way too many. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like I, I hunt beds when I first found them, I'd hunt them once a month you right. know, or every two weeks. I'm going to figure them out. Yeah. They know what's going on, man. They're right. betting there for a reason, especially if it's an older deer, he's betting there for some strategic reason. And he's been doing it a lot longer than but you have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And his survival instincts trumps our, instincts for glory or recognition or whatever reason that you you're hunting you have big deer for right his survival instincts far surpasses anything that we have we will ever been through or anything so he's there for a reason and odds are you're going to lose 99.9 percent of the time right because he's betting there because he he's beaten the odds over and over again in that spot right so let me ask you this you know because this is something i've re- recently started kind of wrestling with a little bit only because um, you know, I've heard, you know, I think in kind of listening to guys like Zach Farrenbaugh mm-hmm. and, and, and you and, and, and Dan and, and really more specifically like the hunting public guys, mm-hmm. um, that we feel like, you know, if you intrude on a deer's bed, on a buck's bed, right. That, and he gets away, everyone's like, oh, you blew him out. Right. And then. But when I started thinking about it, and this was something I talked to Zach about the one day, he was like, you just reinforced why he beds there. Because yep. you came in, he sensed that you were there, he was gone in a split second and remained safe. So in his mind, that bed did its job. Yes. So you continue. So do you kind of follow the same suit? Like, do you feel with, like if you blow a deer out of a bed, that, that it's still a viable hunt? Yeah. With, with, him, so with him reason. If that deer, say, because yeah, each personality is different a deer, that deer might be so skittish of human intrusion. One bump might be all it needs to be like, F this, I'm out, you know? Right. Or it could be, like you said, it works. I'm not going to change. Right. You know, th- this th- this strategic location served its purpose. Right. You know, so that it's it can go either way. Like I said, it depends probably on the deer and the, I guess the skill set of the hunter. Right. And a little bit of luck, I guess, involved that it could pay off, you know, either that day or later in the season. Right. You know, I very populated state a lot of hunters in the salt marsh and wherever i hunt um i don't know why i picked those spots glutton <laughs> <laughs> uh, for punishment but these deer get pressure a lot so bumping one or two out a season i don't think it really bothers them right but i do believe some deer it'll bother them because the deer has been like listen this is too close right you know? and these, some there's people out there that 
are the exact opposite. You know, less aggressive. It's better. You know, you're not right. gonna tip the deer off. Plus, that deer knows what time it is. You know, <laughs> right. Well, once August rolls around, everybody now putting trail cameras out. That a buck that's been around a few seasons, he knows what's up. You right. know, so it's not his first rodeo. He knows what to do. He goes, you know, he has certain beds for certain spots. You know, right. If they get all blown out, he's going to go somewhere else. Right. Know? Right. Yeah. So it's if you know the person, yeah. I'll, uh, English, yeah. Would be, yeah. English, English is good. Yeah. If you know the personality of the deer, you might be able to kind of determine if you have a second player or not. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and that just depends on how much intel you have on that deer. If it's a deer yeah. you've had encounters with in the past, you've watched him, or, or maybe they're... you've blown him out at previous season to come back and hunt him again and saw yeah. him. So then you know, I can probably hunt this guy a little bit more aggressively because yeah. I got a little intel on him. You know, I think. And some, you know, I've, I know me personally, like I've blown out deer, you know, and, and it's like, this is horrible. And then, you know, two weeks later, I'm hunting, you know, in the salt marsh. I'll be, you know, 100 yards away. And there'll be another buck in that bed I can see with my binoculars. And it's like, same buck, a different buck. Because you're blowing out a deer, unless you get true visual, which a lot of times you don't. Right. <laughs> it's a it's a true rarity to get a visual on a, on a, on a big deer because he's going to slip out quietly, you right. know? Yeah. So unless well, you actually see the deer jumping out, like, you could have bumped out a little butt buck a little doe you don't really know you know yeah yeah exactly so bumping a deer is not necessarily a bad thing unless you actually get the visual that you know it's 170 inch deer or 150 inch deer you can see it with dry balls you know right right so the net net for this particular segment is is that yes buck beds are cool they're helpful right if you know where they bed you can you can kill them finding buck beds is a little bit of a unicorn in the sense that like you know everyone's looking for this like big rub down down to the dirt behind a log that's like your prototypical and it's like and i've found them you know when i was in iowa i was finding them where it was just they were subtle mm-hmm. you know what i mean they weren't like you were you were saying like that looks like a bed and then you were finding rubs that were kind of yeah. around and stuff like that we were like okay this is definitely the bed but it wasn't like it was divoted out yeah. or anything like that could so, be food beds pressure beds there's yeah. all kinds of different beds you know you got uh i mean around here i know specific pressure beds mm-hmm. you know i know come third week of october i know where i i, I completely transition into pressure beds because mm-hmm. i'm counting on other hunters blowing this spot out i'm forcing deer over there right you know and it's you know it doesn't really always pay off but like that's where you know you, you got to start transitioning into certain spots on food you know crop rotation you know pressure yeah uh, and i i think food probably has more to do with than, in, in my opinion, than pressure in some aspects, right. especially like a primary bed, because they're still bedding in certain spots, even in high pressure areas. Right. Well, because he's safe. There's, he's impossible. He just don't leave. He don't show himself during daylight. You know. Right. right. But if their foods is a mile away, well, he's going to change his bed. You know, if there's no ac- acorns here or acorns, oak corns. Acorns. That's okay. Jeez. Yeah, it's like okra and acorns. <laughs> 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 that's all right dude We're, we've been in the sun all day shooting bows it's okay uh, of course <laughs> of course yeah it was a good one i yeah. like that one yeah so <laughs> anyway the net net is is that you know beds sometimes are unicorns because yes they are difficult to find they are not necessarily unicorns meaning that the deer you expect to be there isn't necessarily always going to be there and he's going to move around he's going to rotate and it's not a slam and it's not a slam dunk or right? a buck that you want to shoot you make oh this giant buck bed look how big it is and all you see is little bucks. Little oh, bucks. Yeah. That's yeah. a little buck pen. Right. All right. So that's the uh that's that's the first one in the books. Let's uh let's check out the next segment. All right, so this next segment 
is it's about natural deer movement. So this is a, a clip from you know early on in early on in this podcast where I'm kind of referring to how I came to kind of get into archery hunting and what kind of tip you know tip the scales into you know for me toward this obsession overall obsession uh, get it uh, obsession yeah the bow I shoot yeah I get it like look at that um but uh I, I had an opportunity while I was doing some um, fall turkey hunting you know this was many years ago and and had seen you know something I'd never seen before being a deer hunter in Pennsylvania hunting you know rifle season was just not ever getting a chance to see what natural deer movement looked like and what they do just basically deer being deer because every time you know I went hunting as a kid growing up or even as an adult you know until I started bow hunting was you know deer running for their lives during during rifle season right so um, this clip here is about natural deer movement and then we'll and then we'll talk a little bit about it um, and just kind of sat and watched them for a while. And, and, and what I was realizing was that this was natural deer activity. And I came to realize that it was really the pre-rut um, portion of, of deer season. And that was the first time I'd really ever seen natural deer movement because most of the time that I was hunting growing up and so forth, it was always during rifle season where if you know anything about or if you've ever heard, you don't even have to know, but Pennsylvania kind of has that reputation for having a lot of pressure, um, whether it's public or private land. And that's what you know usually experience in rifle season. So um, the fact that I was seeing natural deer movement where the deer had no clue that I was there. I was not in a tree stand. I was just sitting on the ground. Um, and they were clueless that I was there. And uh, they were just working this one funnel that ran along this ridge. Um, and that was kind of what sold me on, on archery hunting. I was like that type of movement to where you can actually start to predict and pattern things um, was something that interested me. So I just kind of fell uh, head over heels for, for bow hunting. And it's kind of been... Um, you know, uh, part of what I do and kind of an obsession, uh, since that moment. All right. So natural deer movement. So the one thing that we started talking about a little bit today was, you know, what you had mentioned was even in pressure situations, there are pockets of natural deer movement. So I guess, give me, if you, if you could just kind of give me some examples or explain what you mean by that. Just where deer feel deer. Yeah where deer feel safe you know even you can have the a thousand people hunting you know five thousand acres there's going to be a few pockets of you know in that section of woods where deer will travel you know with their guards slightly lowered not completely lowered but slightly lowered where you know you have a chance to possibly capitalize on a shot or, or an opportunity at a shot you know a lot of time it's closer to beds um like during the early season mm-hmm. you know the rut you know it's closer to the, the doe bedding areas because you know you, we all know does are they're tricky tricky little creatures they are tricky. <laughs> <laughs> you know and if you get into certain spots where does i think aren't as spooky as bucks probably a good word they're they're on high alert but they're not as spooky mm-hmm. so they're more calculated yeah. i feel like like they they're gonna figure they're gonna figure shit out super early yeah. like you know, a buck might walk in underneath your stand and be like, oh, okay, the jig's up. Yeah. What the hell just happened? I'm out of here, right? Yeah. That doe will pick you up. You won't even have known she's yeah. there, you know what I mean, type of th- type of thing. And just, and that just comes with the boots on the ground and time where you'll, because deer can't, you know, they're deer 24-7, you know, dark time, you know, daylight. They can't be on edge 24-7. They'd have heart attacks, you know, they'd, right. they'd be committing suicide. You know, right. So there has to be certain spots and time in the day where these deer drop their guards, you know, and they're a little more relaxed, not super relaxed, but 
less you know, cagey, I guess. Right, right. And I found some pockets here you know, close to my house, which just by pure luck, you know, get lost in the dark. You know, before Onyx and GPS, you're like, man, this gets light. You're like, what's this place? I've like, never right. seen this. And all of a sudden, these deer just are feeding through. They're 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 yeah. they're just doing their natural thing. They're not, you know, around here we get a lot of bait pile hunters. So these deer are already you know, wired to begin with. And right. I still find them these little pockets be because there's a, an edge or or something that I don't really see at the time. You know, but these deer just behave <laughs> like deer. Yeah, like not like yeah. uh, uh, like I said, super high alert, ready to bolt every little bit of noise. Right. You know, there's not all over the place. It's a few spots, and I think it's near like a core area, or like a or like does. It's a you know a doe bedding area that's pretty common, regularly used. Like they know it's safe. Right. Yeah. You know? I think there's different types of natural movement too that you could classify to try to hunt. Right. I think there's the type that you're talking about, which is trying to find little pockets of, of less pressure where they feel a little bit more, a little bit more comfortable, whether that's like you said, like around bedding, it mm-hmm. might be a staging area, like before they get into a field mm-hmm. that they feel really safe. It might literally be a food source or a, you know, I say food plot, not just, doesn't have to be man-made, but yeah. just an area where they're going to congregate to eat during their evening, yeah. f- evening feeding, because maybe it's surrounded by a bunch of trees and brush and stuff like that to where yeah. they're, they're kind of secluded and, yeah. and they'll definitely hear or see or smell anything come in before it ever gets to, you know, gets yeah. into the, into especially, their area. Yeah, especially those older does, you know, those, those does have been around six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Like mm-hmm. whenever you find an area where they're not as spooky, you know, mark that down, right. Pick it apart, decipher it. There's a reason she feels safe there. That's where you want to be. Like that's going to pay off at some point in time, late season buck. You know, first rut, second rut, you know, right. you know, post rut, whatever you want to call it. But, I mean, I've got a few spots where old does, you can tell there's weathered, you know, gray face, and they're just being normal, which is so rare for right. a deer, a doe that old, just to act normal. Because usually right. they're the ones that are high alert, constantly scanning, like just totally on edge that just ruin every hunt <laughs> you're, right. you're within a quarter mile, they're like, hey, look, he's over there, let's go this way. And, like, yes. and then they'd blow for... 40 minutes. Okay. Make sure everyone else is out yeah. there too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, going back to what I was saying, like there's different types of natural movement. So it's like that, that you were kind of explaining it. But then there's also like the natural food movement that occurs that you can, that you can predict, you know, capitalize and predict, right? And then there's also the natural, even though it doesn't seem organized, there's natural, you know, pre-rut movement, right? Which might be a little bit more organized because they're going to be, especially if you're hunting for, you know, buck hunting, which most of us are, you know, there's scrapes they're going they're going to hit and you're going to be yeah. able to kind of tell which ones are getting tended and how frequently they've been getting tended, especially if you're using trail cameras yeah. over any scrapes and stuff like that, that it's helpful. And then there's the, the you know, the, the rut natural movement, which looks like it's chaos because it kind of is, but that's natural movement too, yeah. right? And if you know where there's doe bedding, right? And if you're as meticulous as, Chad is right where the spot in Ohio, he and I've hunted together in the past where he literally knew like which ridges were going to turn on, which like, which in like, uh, you know, within like a three day period of time, because he's had cameras in those areas for so many years where he's like, man, rut activity picks up between the sixth and seventh on this ridge. It picks up between the fourth and the sixth on this ridge. Like, you know, so that's all natural movement that you can capitalize on. Right. So natural movement doesn't occur whenever the deer are just relaxed. Yeah it occurs also just in their normal cycle of the year and mm-hmm. what's causing them to, to move. Does is a little different, right? Because their natural movement is, 
Yeah. Pick off any hunter in the woods. <laughs> Pick off any hunter in the woods. But, you know, their natural movement is food and survival, yeah. right? And a buck's natural movement, you know, is food and survival a lot of the year. But then they get into a portion of the year where it becomes, okay, I got to start, you know, marking territory or communicating might be a better way to put it with scrapes, right? And so I got to do that. And now I've got to go find those and carve those out. And so that happens, right? So, which then they start to drive a little bit of the movement because they're now pushing does and, you know, so it becomes a little bit more chaotic, but there's a lot of different types of natural type of movement. Cause I think a lot of folks, when they think of natural deer movement, they think of that like early season bed to food pattern, right? Which is like a very small portion of the natural movement that you're going to have during the course of a year. So yeah, see, we interpret that like differently, you know, like I took it as you know, natural movement as you know, less spooky movement. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that really, my first, you know, I uh, guess experience was that, that it was, you know, and I, it was that it was less spooky yeah. movement, right? And then, you know, as I was sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, man, there's a lot of different types of natural movement that you could witness that, you know. Yeah, because I know, like, in, in the in the mountains, like, a lot of movement, and deer don't expect you to be <laughs> some of the spots they hunt, and they would just go about their merry way, just be a line of does, just eight or ten does, just just trugging along up this mountain and back, you know, and they've probably done that <laughs> three, four or five days a week for how many years? And right. It's like, it's just never, it just never stops. It's like a perfect yep. scenario, yep. you know, and then around here, we don't really necessarily get that with the pressure and Long Island's a completely different story. Like I've watched, you know, I've seen 30 different does, 30 different deer in a matter of an hour come through this little, you know, patch of laurels. And you're just like, they just keep coming. And looking back, it's like, how many deer live on this island? It's, right. <laughs> it's just nonstop. And that's that's normal up there. And to yep. me, that's not normal. <laughs> right. I would say for me too, it's not normal. It's like yeah. I got a little I got a little, you know, spot that I like to hunt in Ohio where I get that. Right. Yeah. And it's like I remember like when I saw that happen the first time, I was like, You gotta be kidding me. I was like, yeah. they keep coming from yeah. the same spot yeah. over and over and over <laughs> and over again, you know. I can't think of very many places or hunts that I've had in Pennsylvania where I've watched deer kind of file out of like the same spot yeah. over and over and over again. Right. Mm -hmm. Even, even on some of that stuff I was hunting last year, even on private property, you know, it's like you predict it a yeah. little bit. Right. But I, you know, people assume because you have private, but in Pennsylvania, I mean, there's so much hunting that occurs around a property. It's, it's exactly. they're, they're getting pressure just the same. Yeah. You know, it's not much different than public in a lot of cases. Yeah. Unless you got like 5,000 acres, you know, and right. You know, you very, very rarely hunt it. Your your deer are pressured. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no such thing as non-pressured yeah. deer unless you're in like Iowa. Yeah, you know. <laughs> All right, so I think that's uh, that's natural deer movement. All right, so this next segment we are talking about velvet porn, which is uh, appropriate considering we're kind of in the velvet porn get it. time of year. You know, get it. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll listen to this clip and and we shall dissect. Um, definitely beginning to get a sense of buck fever recently with all the, uh, <laughs> the velvet porn, if you will, that, right. <laughs> that I'm seeing on social media, you know, it's, it's so soft, it's, <laughs> it's so soft and it's so it's nice. So um, you know, but there's always a sense of, uh, uh, disappointment maybe even sometimes I'm not sure if that's the right word, but, uh, you know, I see some of these guys that are, you know, there's one guy in particular that I, that I talked to on, uh, online social media. He follows the blog and the podcast. Really good guy. Um, lives in Iowa. Um, hopefully we'll at some point have him on here to tell us some, uh, some of his hunting stories. But, uh, 
you know, he and I chat quite a bit, and he shot me some velvet pictures uh, that he had that he just pulled in terms of camera. Oh man, it's it 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 makes me want to cry a little bit on the inside because it's like I'm looking at him, and he's you know we were talking about what we were trying to age him essentially. You know, this right. time of year it's really hard to kind of to age to a degree because you know all the deer are just kind of thin they got their their uh, summer bodies on they're not really yeah you know they're not in that rut phase where their necks are all blown out looking mm-hmm. like a hoss so they're kind of tough to age but he sent me four pictures and he was like what are you thinking you know for age on these things and we we both kind of agreed the one was a two-year-old but i mean the, the it was a two-year-old that was an eight point that in pennsylvania i mean you would have you would have fallen over yourself to to shoot that deer, you know. Yeah. And out there, that's just a complete, you know, let it let it slide for another two years. <laughs> and then there was one that was a four year old that just looked like he had been drinking PBR for the past three years straight with a big old pot <laughs> belly on him. <laughs> you know, where its main beams as big as my forearm. Yeah, he was he was he was a definite hoss, you know. And he and he made the mention where he was like, yeah, you know, I agree that those are probably the same ages I was thinking of. He was like, you know, unfortunately, I haven't found any of the mature bucks that I'm looking for yet. Was kind of what he was saying and i'm like man it's like in pennsylvania (laughs) if i missed out of my tree stand i may attempt to throw myself onto the deer as it went by (laughs) to try to stop it you know um but yeah so you know a little bit of envy envy there all right so velvet porn so greg you you like porn right Velvet porn's the best. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I, I last year was the first time I ever run cameras in the summertime. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I just. Uh, I mean, I knew you didn't. So you you don't rely super heavily on the intel that you you get from cameras necessarily, or the summer, I should yeah, say. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's yeah. pointless because you once here, especially in Jersey, our season starts early. You know, it's September 9th, eighth, ninth, tenth, somewhere around there. So deer are still on their summer patterns. Some still have velvet, but people are just bombarding the woods, you know, cameras and bait piles where you can't really rely, especially on, on public. It's just, I just, you know, I got friends and coworkers. That you got just, friends? Very few. I was going to say, it's like, I thought I was the only one actually. <laughs> <laughs> that run these cameras and they get their hopes built up on this. Oh, he's doing this, doing this, doing this. And just pressure you know, early in August, these people are pressuring these deer to, to no end. And these deer knows what, like we talked earlier, yeah. they know what's going on. It's not their first rodeo. So they're like, all right. Yeah. So they actually break off their pattern sooner than normal, which pretty much just speeds up everything, you know, which yeah. makes it, you know, they, they, you force them into, you know, changing their tactics yeah. way sooner than need be. And I ran cameras last year for the first time all summer in Long Island. And it was, like clockwork every day or every other day, like eight bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, one slammer of an eight pointer, you know, and it was just, they just coming and going, coming and going. And then as, you know, August, <laughs> towards the end of August, you know, once every three days, right. you know, first week of September. And it got to the point where, I don't know, third week of September, it was the big boy was gone, never to be seen again. Not even day at dark time. He was already later. Be it oak, probably oaks are dropping or right. some pressure. People, you know, bumped him out or he knew he knows what's going on. He's like, well, later I'm going to go to be safe because New York season don't doesn't open until October first. So these deer completely did what they normally do every year, probably on a year to year basis. You know, third week of September and September disperse. Yeah. You know, testosterone, anger, aggression, and they march a little turf and they go out. You know, and every summer they kind of meet back up in the, you know, meeting place. Mm-hmm. And 
it was just weird because I let that camera sit until November. And I think the last buck picture has small little crabby, nice deer. Uh, was October 17th on a day walker, and it was done. Right. Like nothing. And it was a trail that was, I mean, you were like, there's got to be something on here. And I'm like, I let the camera sit until, uh, yeah, was it January, actually? And it was just nothing. I had new batteries and everything in it uh, in November. I had nothing in November. I'm like, ah, the something second half of uh, you know, November will come in end of November. And it was just dead. Nothing. Right. You know. Yeah, I, I bet you I can go back to that spot now, put a camera, and there's deer still be doing the same thing. Parading through, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, you know, of course, looking at velvet pictures is nice, right? It's like it, it, it's exciting because deer season's starting, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's kind of part of what it is. You know, for me, I'm kind of running into this this year because I have a couple properties that are new to me, and so it's like I got to figure something out. I scouted, and so now I'm just trying to figure out, is there a decent deer on there? In one spot, I found some decent sign. I think I talked to you about yeah. this on the phone the one night. It's like, I think it might be where the big one that I saw last year might be transitioning to after, mm-hmm. you know, late August, very I guess very early September. Um, but for him, it's like I've seen him in one spot, and so I have a camera out for him specifically, and I'll go check it. The only reason is, is because on that specific property, like he disappears right after the season opens, which is like mid September for, for PA or for that section of PA. And so I'm just trying to see, is he still alive? Number one, because I haven't gotten any pictures of him since last like September, you know? Um, And if he is, then I know when my opportunity is to, to, to try to kill him. Right. So I think if you have, if you have Intel on a deer, you know, it's exciting to get the velvet picture if you know where he's going to be at early so you can possibly go put a hunt on for him. Mm-hmm. Or if you're public or private, but probably most most likely or most predominantly private, if you have a deer that you know is a homebody mm-hmm. and you've watched him for like two years, because I had one of those too where it's like I hunted a deer for two years, or I guess I knew of him for three years, I hunted him for two years, and I had velvet pictures of him every year, and I knew it was a homebody yeah, and he would disappear for a while, but he was always he would show up dark. So I knew he was bedding somewhere else, and I've told that story a thousand times. But you know, so that was one where I was excited about Velvet because I was like, I knew he was killable, and he was going to stick around because I had history with him. But to your point, it's like if you don't right, and you don't have history with deer, and you're just trying to inventory the spot, and you, and you don't really know what's going to show up. It's like let it soak for a while, like whether you. If you put it in in June, right, whether you check it, you know, in two weeks or whether you check it in three months right before the season starts, or maybe it's like mid-August that we have roughly like a month or by the end of August, if your season comes in October 1st, like check at the end of August, right? Mm-hmm. You'll know what's around. Like you're going to have all that information, right? So I don't see a benefit in knowing early versus... No knowing it's, later it, it's your it's like knowing how uh like you don't read a book because you know how the ending is going to be right you know almost like mentality like there's like I said it's a good intel thing and it's it's hard to glass some spots so cameras come you know come into play in those yep. scenarios but a lot of guys get stuck on these areas and it's just you know on, on a specific deer um I, i've never been that way so i can't really relate to them i don't get hung up on one deer like mm-hmm. i just want to shoot old deer so right it doesn't matter <laughs> right. if i get history with him not he's old i want to shoot him you know right. it doesn't. Yeah. but a lot of guys get this false sense of uh accomplishment just by getting a picture of one right and then it actually kind of put you a know, pen to pad like 
years go by and like nothing's happened. Well, that can like, ruin you too because you can put all your focus on that one deer and exactly. he, he may it's, not be there, right? And so then you're missing opportunities yep. to hunt other other deer. Exactly. You, you can't know? put all you know, put all your eggs in one basket, you know? And I think a lot of guys now with social media, like the you know, the whole velvet porn thing, people mm-hmm. get so caught up in that and it's a cool thing, I guess. But that's it's nice not, because it kicks off deer season, yeah. right? And it gets people get get excited about it yeah. and that's awesome. Yeah. Right. I just think a lot, I think what you're saying too is like a lot of guys screw themselves before they even really ever get started. Yep. You know what I mean? And I look, I'll be the first to admit, like I was guilty of that for a long time. You know what I mean? And it's part, hard not to be to check your camera. Like, cause yeah. I, I mean, I've, uh, I ran cameras for less, you know, I've had cameras back when there were these big giant block things, you know, flash cameras that weighed like 10 pounds, you, you know, <laughs> right. had strapped to a tree and it was so hard not to check them. Every time you were near, I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm going to go check him. And I know I screwed myself out of mm-hmm. quite a few good deer because yeah. I'd check it so often. I'm like, man, he's coming in here. All right, let me check it again. I'm going to hunt there next Friday. After three times checking the camera, that deer disappeared. And it, you're talking, you know, late October when he should be coming around more, he's gone or just bypass that section of woods altogether. Right. So it's like, hmm. I mean, yeah. I think this is where, you know, where you have to rely on all the tools to put on a hunt for, for a good deer, right? It's like, yes, the camera intel can be a piece of it, but like, I think like you and I are saying, if you want to hang your cameras, hang them, but just, you're going to, you're going to have the same pictures in two weeks. Yeah. You'll have all those plus all the other ones in three months. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so you have all that, but then if you've done your scouting and you've got a couple big deer on camera and you found good sign, it looks like, you know, mature buck or good buck sign. Right. And maybe, hell, maybe you found a track, mm-hmm. right? Like, you don't need to go back to continually check those because you've got the sign. Yep. You've got the data from the camera that you that you only checked once and got all your inventory after three yep. months of letting it soak. And now you can pretty much say, like, based on the sign I saw in the spring, you know, from the previous rut and the previous season, plus the track that I see, Right. And maybe some fresh rubs from Shed and Velvet or whatever, which I know is just to Shed Velvet. It's not like they're throwing down their their yeah. dominant sign or whatever. But like these are all puzzle pieces. And then you have three good deer on camera. Chances are one of them is going to stick around, yeah. right? It's like chances are not all of them are going to transition. Exactly. So you're going to have a good deer. Yeah. You know and what I mean? You might get lucky that where the big guy stays because that could be his his core area. Could be. You know? Yeah. So, and But you'll just, definitely screw yourself if you continue to go in and check yeah. it. And likely all three of them disappear. Yep. Yeah. And you even know? with the... You know, the blackout cameras that are out there, and you know, I had a, a cheaper blackout. I had three of them stolen last year, but they were the deer knew they were there. Every deer that was a little bit older, that thing went off, and the deer looked at the camera. Right oh, there again, they know that thing's not supposed to be in a tree. There's right. human center on a tree, like they come on, you know. Right, and we're we're patterning, we're conditioning them to know, to look for those things, almost like deer look for danger up in trees. Well, now everybody's throwing the cameras up higher. Deer looking up. You know I mean it's just Right. We're conditioning these deer at at a young age, you know, right? And it gets harder and harder. Like, just because you have a camera or a picture of a deer doesn't mean you're going to actually kill that deer, right? And I think a lot of people confuse it too. Like, I got a picture. He's he's good as you know. He's good as dead. Well, there's only hand, got, there's only a handful of people that can say that every year, right? <laughs> and I, I'm not one. Of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I had one opportunity like yeah. that and couldn't seal the deal. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I was within 30 yards and yeah. couldn't get a shot. You know, it's like, and that was that's because you didn't have your FX30. That's dirty yeah, 30, yeah. dirty 30. Um, you know, if you, and I get it, it's exciting. And, and if, and if 
you know, I guess going after mature deer isn't like all your, isn't your jam a hundred percent and you want to check your cameras by all means, check your cameras and enjoy it. Like I'm not telling someone that they shouldn't, you know, if that's what you like about it, then check the shit out of them. But if you want to check them and you, you have a hard time holding yourself to like not checking them every two weeks or whatever, like at least do yourself the the service of waiting till it's, it rains and yeah. check it in the rain and like yeah. do some things like that to where, you know, or use cell cameras to where it's like you're not having to go in and, and then use a solar panel as yeah. your battery. So you're not yeah. having to, inf- you know, walk in there. It's like, so, you know, if, yeah. if you, if you can't avoid or if you don't want to avoid, or if you're just too excited, like try to try to use some things to your advantage to where you minimize the damage that you might be doing, especially if you have a really good deer in there, because well, I'd, I'd rather see pictures of you with the dead deer. Exactly. Then pictures. I don't of want you. velvet pictures. I want deer on my wall. Like that to me was, is winning. Right. The velvet picture. Is a, Charlie know. Sheen, tiger blood yeah. winning. <laughs> you know, cause like Andre back in the day when the, one of Dan's, he was on the, uh, the DVDs there. He talks about it. You know, he puts his cameras in high traffic, you know, deer areas mm-hmm. and where he can check the cameras without leaving much scent. Yeah. Like he doesn't put them in, you know, he doesn't put them near beds. He doesn't yeah. do all these things. He puts them because he just, I got an idea where the deer's bedding. I just want to make sure he's here. Right. And now I'll hunt this Well, because if, yeah, because if you know where he's bedding, it's like, you know, and you can, you can say, hey, he might be going to a food source 200 yards away. I'm going to set it up there. Yeah. And then, you know, a person might go, yeah, but you're only getting nighttime pictures of him. Well, I don't give a shit that I only have exactly. nighttime pictures of him because I'm going to walk 200 yards in toward the bed and I'm going to set up and that's where I'm yeah. going to kill him. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to kill him back here, yeah. you know what I mean? Because you're getting dark deered at that yeah. point. Like, yeah. You know, so I know when people say, well, you only have nighttime pictures of him. Before you just judge based on, yeah. like, what time the picture is, like, understand how much more that person might yeah. know about the setup. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's the ticket. Yeah, because if you got, you know, 500 acres... And if your picture's at 2 a.m., odds are that deer's not, first of all, the, the velvet deer or a hardhorn deer, he's not living on your property. He's just yeah. passing through at 2 a.m. Yeah. You're never, you know, the odds of killing him is, you know. Pretty low. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you got, you know, the, like you said, that, that gray light pictures or, you know, an hour before dark or hour after and you're far from his bed, like, there's your opportunity, you know. Right. And you're minimize your scent like it's going out when it's super windy, rainy. Yep. You know. Exactly. Or when the farmer's out in the field, if you're, you hunt agriculture, do it when the farmer's out in the field. Right. You know. So if you must velvet porn, if if you're into that, we're into that too. But be <laughs> to, be, be, be careful in the do it in moderation. The, yeah, be careful in the velvet porn. Yeah, you go blind. <laughs> I think that's a good place to cut that one, yeah. and, we'll, and we'll go to the next segment. <laughs> All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Greg for joining, and more specifically for helping me put this series together. And, and I would of course like to thank all of you for listening, not just for today, but for listening for the past three years. It's extremely grateful that you guys you know, choose to spend an hour plus uh, of your time with me with me every week and, and looking forward to this, uh, this deer season and seeing what all you guys have going on for uh, rolling into to year number four. And hopefully we, uh, hopefully we all get some good deer on the ground and make it a killer year. So if you haven't yet, uh, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for us. And before I shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wing. And until next time, we'll see you. Long time coming if it all. It takes a special knowing to call a
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.